Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Cody Miller, uh, Cody Miller McIntyre, former guard for Wake Forest, subscribe. So you should as well. A real tongue twister right there. I haven't, I haven't recorded in f- forever, man. This, this, this quarantine has got me down bad. You're rusty. We're Very all rusty. rusty. We're all rusty right now. I will. I can't even. I don't even know if I can have any sort of like. I'm. I'm not able to interact with a human. I think I have lost touch with the ability to of speak with someone else. But Cody Miller McIntyre, he subscribes to so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. So yesterday should have been the national title game. We've, I think now made it out of the worst part of this whole lockdown with no sports, especially for us, right? We said the first Thursday and Friday of the tournament, were going to be the toughest days. We got past it slowly, but surely the, the wound is healing, but it's a very slow heal. But now we are finally out of the woods officially no more college basketball, but these past three weeks might have been brutal. I've been holding up. Yeah, it's been rough, uh, for lack of a better term, which pretty much everybody would say at this point. Um, I think the only like solace that I've had is that um, it's uh, I'm in Arizona, so it's been nice the whole time. It's been like 78 degrees every single day, and I have like pools, and the golf courses here are still open, so I can at least go uh, bide my time doing that. Um, but in terms of what, what do you do every night when the sun goes down, what do you do? That's when the real sports scaries, let's call them set in. Yeah. That's all I can really say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What more insight do we have? I mean, we could sit here probably every day and say, Hey, this has been super unfortunate. Also, at least today, like me as a golf fan, they, or yesterday they reannounced when like the masters and all that was going to come back theoretically so at least that was some kind of news 
Uh, we did have the replay of Arizona's national championship game from 1997 last weekend. Uh, so my girlfriend got to listen to me scream at a TV about a game that was 23 years ago. So that was really fun for her and I. I'm, sh- uh, I'm sure her just as much as I uh, in that scenario. Um, God, yeah, God, other than that, you can only read like so many sports books and articles and all that type of stuff before you actually need that stuff is just supposed to be time filler it's not supposed to be the main event of like the spring yeah there's there's only so many office reruns that i'm able to watch and i love the office it's a fantastic show but i i know exactly like at, at what time stamp a certain joke is about to land i can't deal with that anymore tiger king i buried through that in a day and a half it's great fantastic N- new new episode is coming out as well so that's huge it is, but at the same time, it's I kind of feel like a drug addict. You know, I'm like I'm getting one more hit, and then what? Like, just hope, then, just what, hope what it keeps going. Just hope it keeps going. It's not gonna you, know, laugh, dude. you know what the worst part is too is you know that like someone would have made a play, some fan base would have made a play on Tiger King in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, just pick any of the Tiger uh, fan bases, or you know, like who uh, Auburn. Um, Clemson, oh, Clemson would have been out. LSU, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you know what would have happened. UCLA, one of the hottest teams in the country. Tiger Campbell, you for sure know that. Ooh, would, ooh, would that is a good one. That is good. One. We'll get to more about Tiger Campbell later in this episode as well. Yeah, we got a great episode uh, ahead. We have a fantastic interview with Pentelis Zidius. I'm still trying to nail down his the pronunciation of his name, but you know him as. Uh, DePaul basketball player and also America's number one hype man with the goggles and the great hair. Uh, so we had a great time interviewing him. But a few other news and notes. Do you see the, the scissor, Matt Harms? He's transferring. Yeah, I'm actually pretty fired up about it because uh, Arizona was one of the teams that – well, there were like 25 teams that got a hold of them in, within like an, an hour. But Arizona was one of them, and I'm a big Matt Harms guy, as we've discussed before. Uh, just phenomenal hair and i'm i'm for anyone with phenomenal hair especially if you're seven is harm seven three is out they list him at something it's, like that he did yeah. cut that hair though recently there's time to grow it back but let's not forget right now as we speak harms has a buzz cut if he goes to arizona though just let's just just uh you know hypothetically you know that most of the fan base or most of the students at arizona are like california kids harms with a nice surfer like swoop going would play great to the arizona fan base uh you don't want to live if you got that type of hair you don't want to go to a west lafayette for example because you got to keep it under a beanie most of the year i just never understood that from the beginning you know he needs to go a place where he can let the flow go for an entire season this is probably more of an indictment on myself but i think i would weigh more than christian coloco their current projected starter at center and matt harms combined I mean, we would have the lankiest front court of all time. Yeah. Uh, one with potential great specs, even though he doesn't wear them anymore. And the other one with great hair. Yeah. Were you able to watch the Christian Dawkins documentary on HBO that aired I'm, what last Sunday? I mean, I watched some of it or saw it's this. I'll try not to rant too long on this, but it's the same fucking thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I mean, there, what what else is there to even discuss at this point? You know, okay, so there was one more kind of bad Will Wade quote from it. And, like, that was it. Uh, 
they had one conversation kind of with Sean Miller that was fairly ambiguous um, about what the terminology was being used there. And um, I think it's one of those classic, uh, like, let's go back and find who was the producer of this? Who was the person who wanted to put this on? All of this type of stuff. It just seems like another attempt to save face by like the FBI and Christian Dawkins of, oh, no, we promised there really was something to this, when in reality, it was the biggest waste of time ever. I think to me, more than anything else, it made the FBI look bad. Because like, what, what, what are we yes. doing here? Right. That, and then, you know, they Christian, were so incompetent. Well, and then they make Christian Dawkins seems like he's like worldwide West. Christian Dawkins was like, not even equal to like, Worldwide West's assistant to the assistant regional manager. Uh, you know, I mean, that that's pretty much where he stood in the college basketball world. He wanted to talk and be the guy, but he wasn't the guy at all. You know, he's the guy that hands out his mixtape in a Walmart parking lot, but then talks to all of his buddies like he's a recording artist. Like that, there's no, there was, he, he had no real say in the college basketball world. And the FBI had no real I don't want to say no real reason to even induct, you know, have to get investigation in the first place, but it, it all just was a huge mess. And that's the biggest thing I got from it is that it was just more wasted time about something that probably never even should have happened in the first place. Well, so that's the thing. I think the two biggest takeaways are number one, it makes the FBI look completely incompetent, but number two, this documentary didn't really present any new information for those of us in the know, right? If you're an LSU or Arizona fan, you're probably glued to your computer looking at updates as it was transpiring, but it was funny getting texts from those that may not be as aware of the details as they had transpired. And when they were looking at this doc, like it's, it's really just a, uh, of peaks and valleys of emotions, right? It begins with what you automatically assume is Will Wade and Sean Miller being completely screwed. And then as the documentary continues, you kind of get to see the ineptitude of the, uh, of the FBI. Now, whether or not these two actually were discussing payments, they probably were. If we're, if we're being sane, logical human beings, they probably were. But for those people saying, oh, after this doc comes out, these guys are getting fired. Absolutely not. This isn't presenting any new evidence. The FBI, like you, you still have, and I feel like the shark of, of all people would appreciate this the most as being a man of, of the court. You know, you have to prove these guys to be not innocent or, or guilty, right? And so that just, it, none of this really did that. Again, if you're, I mean, again, you have to be able to kind of infer and understand what that was, but you can't just fire someone based off of inference. Uh, well, so that's where we're at. And that's what I say all the time. And we said even well before this documentary came out or we even knew about it or we just said it our whole lives. Like we know that bad stuff happens behind the scenes in college athletics. It has been forever. It has been since the days of John Wooden. It has been since the 30s when they came out with NCAA reports about how potential paying of the players is going to ruin college athletics. We're 80, 90, almost 100 years deep in this discussion. So to think that something new was going to come out of this documentary, another thing to remember is that all of this stuff happened four years ago now. I mean, DeAndre Ayton next year will be his third year in the NBA. After a year at U of A. After a year of being recruited. So we're talking about this happening like four or five years ago with all these schools. Uh, Brian Bowen was a part of it, which we'll also talk about him here in a little bit. 
But again, this was all, yeah, four or five years ago now. So it's not like we haven't, if there was information that was going to be the smoking gun, it would have come out already. And that's my other favorite part is getting texts being like, oh, dude, are you, are you nervous about this documentary? No, dude, because no. <laughs> for four years, I mean, again, to, to add on to what you're saying, I've been told that this was going to shatter the bedrock of college basketball, the very foundation in which college basketball was was built upon was withering away in October of 2017, September 2017. Newsflash, people, the only one of relevance, importance, really, that got fired as a result of this was Rick Pitino, and guess what? He's back. He's literally back coaching Division One basketball. I've been told that this was going to cancel cancel the NCAA tournament. No, a fucking deadly virus pandemic can do that. Not this nonsense. So excuse me if I completely disregarded all of your texts that were saying, oh, dude, are you nervous? Absolutely not, because for the past four years, I've been told that I should feel one way and nothing ever comes to fruition. No, it's so, it's it's stupid. And it's just it's it's exactly the point that we make sometimes where it's like people all of a sudden hop on the scene and, and know what, like, Oh, they're the experts now. Cause they watched the scheme on HBO, even though like we've followed it or like major college basketball fans of programs who are involved have followed it every single day. So yeah, your text four years after it happened about you watching the scheme one time means nothing to me pretty much i hate to be i hate to stay, sit up on my high horse here and say that but like we have known all of this information for four years so to think that like these schools are going to fire their coaches now is ridiculous none of the none of the players even being discussed are like on college teams anymore yeah and if you follow me on twitter if you've heard us on this on the show you know that i am not in the front of the line to defend sean miller Right, I, I'm the one leading the charge of we should have a conversation about the future of Sean Miller. I've never committed to whether or not he should be fired or not, but I still think that there should be a conversation around that. I've never once this year, at least, backed Sean Miller. So when I'm telling you that this doesn't mean shit, uh, you should take me at my word for that. Is, yeah, is, it's neither. It's kind of neither here nor there. Like I'm all. I've always been a big Sean Miller stan, and kind of still am to this day. But at the, I'm not nearly to the degree where I'd be like, oh, if we fired him tomorrow, that'd be that big of a deal. Three years yeah. ago, three years ago, I'd have been like, what the fuck, you know? Now I'd have been like, okay, I, I get it. I still am a big support. I still want Sean Miller to be there. I still want Sean Miller to obviously lead us to the promised land. All that type of stuff. I still like Sean Miller. But right. it's not like it's not like multiple years ago where, like, oh no, what are we doing now to be be like oh, okay? So yeah, to me that's like you can't even come to us as be like oh well you guys just want to defend him because he's an Arizona guy. It's like well, uh, no, we don't. If he got fired, then he gets fired. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. That that's the point for me. I'm just going to speak on behalf of myself. What the stance that I'm taking is Sean Miller probably most likely discussed paying players. I understand that. I'm not naive, but are the facts enough for him to get fired as a result of it? No, that's not like the, or, what, or any of these guys. Yeah, no, correct. It's not. And so you, you don't have to be such a Neanderthal. Life has nuances people. Okay. Both of those things can be true. All right. So that's where, that's where I stand sort of. And again, this was just kind of a big, that, that whole documentary. Well, and I just want to make one more point about just the argument in general, whether it relates to Sean Miller or Will Wade. 
Calipari, Coach K, any of these guys that that has probably had these type of discussions before. And that is, I don't ever understand why $100,000 to someone like DeAndre Ayton, who then supposedly had to put it in an offshore account that he couldn't access until after he was out of college. Why would that even sway someone to go to school? who is almost going to make a guaranteed $55 million next year anyway. He spends $100,000 on fucking shoes a year. Like, what, what does it matter to him? You know, I, that's what I don't understand is be one thing if it went straight into his pockets. But part of the whole deal is like, okay, because you got to launder it in, in, in a way to get it to these players. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to give it to your uncle's best buddy who has an account in the Caymans, and it has to stay in that account in the Caymans for like nine months to a year before you can access it. And it's like, well, I'm already going to be in the NBA by then. What what would it matter to me then? So that's what I never understood about just this process as it relates to everybody as a whole. It'd be one thing if I gave you $20,000 in a brown plastic bag and said, hey, here, here's some spending money while you're at school. Yeah, okay, I get that. But not, hey, we're going to wire it seven different ways and you can't even get to it until next year. That that would never sway me to do anything if I was going to be guaranteed making $55 million. So that's a really long-winded another response to, to why I just think this whole thing is, is dumb. You know, we even look back at, uh, you know, just because we were talking about that 97 Arizona team, uh, the joke always was uh, someone on that team Oh, it wasn't someone on that team. It was Damon Stoudemire. Excuse me. So just a little bit after that. But the joke always was, was that Damon Stoudemire was driving around a car at U of A's campus that was bought by Kentucky. So this isn't like new information that we have here in the scheme. Yeah. So uh, what I'm saying is don't watch it. It's worthless. Oh, you can watch it if you want to kill time. There's not much else on it. If you're really looking for a sports fix, I actually encourage you to watch it. But Just yeah. listen to this podcast and said, you know, that's better, it. better use to your time. All right. Let's go ahead and get to our interview with Pantelis Zidius. But before we do that, a quick message from Zach at the Barnburner Podcast Network. We now welcome to the program DePaul basketball player and America's favorite hype man. I'm gonna I'm gonna nail it right now. Pantelis Zidius. I actually I might have messed up on the last name, but obviously we're all locked in our own homes right now. We welcome him to the program. So are you back home in Indiana right now, or are you still on campus or neither? Uh, you know, I have an off-campus place in Chicago, um, and I go back and forth. You know, I try to I can't, I try to keep the quarantine as much as possible, so I haven't really been seeing people, um, you know, besides my family. But otherwise, yeah, I've been keeping it to that a little so, bit back. I got to ask then, first question right off the bat, man, how was the news levied to you that the season was over? Can you describe in excruciating detail, like where you were, where all the guys were? How was this news levied to you? Sure. So um, it was tough. And, and the crazy part about it is that the way we found out about it is is almost it's pretty similar to the way the world found out about it, because we had just beaten Xavier. You know, we were in the Big East tournament, uh, big win, you know, in the first round. And then the next day we were going to play Villanova and we we're really excited about that. So, um, you know, had shoot around, you know, eight. Everything was normal. I can't say everything was normal because obviously the coronavirus fears were going around still. But we didn't know that the whole tournament was going to get canceled, let alone the season. So, um, you know, going through shoot around and everything. And then, you know, a- afterwards we're going to eat and, you know, get ready to play. And then all of a sudden they told us, hey, we're not doing it. Uh, Big East tournament got canceled. We're hopping on a plane in a couple hours and we're going back to Chicago. We're like, what? Like, that's, you know, that, that's crazy. Why are we doing that? But, of course, you know, we're, we're going to roll with it because it's in the best interest of everybody's health. But it was, uh, 
it was interesting, very unexpected, and we found out pretty much the same time that the general public did. Who told you? Was it was it Lado or was it someone else? Or I mean, it, it was. Uh, I mean, one of our managers gave us the first um, gave us the first like knowledge of it. But you know that that of course came from came from the top. So right. Did uh, was there anyone in particular on the team that took it maybe harder than someone else, like the seniors, for example? Was did was there a notable? Uh, uh, not breakdown that they had or emotion that they showed? I mean, I, I would say at the time, everybody shared a similar um, a similar emotion of confusion, I would say, because obviously we weren't expecting it. Um, as far as anybody reacting more than anybody else, I, I think it was pretty uniform all throughout to where we were all just, just very confused. But it, it sucked for the seniors, you know? It sucked for the seniors. Yeah. So what what have some of the other teammates of yours been doing? Is is everyone still in Chicago? Have they been heading home? I mean, is it just a hodgepodge, or you know, how are you guys all staying connected? I guess. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people went home. Uh, a lot of people stayed in Chicago, and you know, people are just kind of doing their own things. But um, you know, we try to have Zoom meetings together, and we talk through that. Um, of course, you know, those are my guys. So we're we're texting back and forth. Hey, how's everything going? Hey, you want to hop on PS4, play 2K? You want to do this? You want to do that? So even though we can't see each other right now, uh, you know, in the best interest of health, we we still find a way to collaborate. So do you think, you know, the NCAA came out and said, all right, so uh, spring sports are going to be able to have an extra year of eligibility. Do you think that should apply to like winter sports like basketball? Um, is that something that you would be on board with? Or do you think that things are too far gone, the season almost being over by the time it was all canceled? You know, I can see both sides of that, and it's hard for me to give an answer to that. Um, you know, of course, the NCAA ruled that, um, you know, that winter sports won't be getting a year back. And, you know, I, I reside with the NCAA. You know, if that's their decision, then I respect it. Um, I can see both sides of the spectrum. You know, first of all, winter sports not being able to to finish their championship season and, you know, whatever postseason they may have went to is unfortunate. But, you know, at the same time, I also see that we went through the whole season. So there's uh, there's there's years and there's to that. It's unfortunate, but you know, it's, it is what it is. No, I'll tell you what, man, it's very refreshing talking to an actual D one athlete that basically got his season stripped away because I think Taylor and I, and our other co-host kind of need a, a check in the sense that we're pissing and moaning like, Oh, woe is me. We don't have the tournament. We can't watch like 24 straight hours of basketball Thursday, Friday, and all this shit can't gamble. And then, you know, it's nice talking to you where it's like, yeah, I was, I was playing in these postseason games. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough for us, too, of course. You know, this is what we work for all year long. And I mean, even us when we're not playing, you know, we enjoy the 48 hours straight watching basketball, too. And, you know, even more so. But it is what it is. You know, we'll be back. And once all this blows over, it'll be better than ever. We'll appreciate it more. Have you guys started looking forward to next year or, or talking about next year, like you and the boys on the team or with your coach or anything like that? Or are you guys still just trying to wait through these times before you start looking forward to next year? You know, really right now we're taking everything minute by minute, day by day, hour by hour. Um, the most important thing for us right now is just, you know, trying to stay in shape. A lot of us are in the house and, you know, we don't have basketball courts in our houses, unfortunately. We don't, you know, a lot of people don't have weights in our house. So right now I'd say the point of emphasis is just, you know, stay in shape, do what you can. Try not to eat, you know, cheeseburgers and Doritos all day and, and you know, try to practice your best judgment with that. But, you know, we're looking forward to next year, but for right now we're taking it day by day. So what are you doing to keep active? Are you doing like foot fires in your kitchen? What's what's the deal? <laughs> well, uh, I'm I'm running around my neighborhood, which is fun. Um, a lot of sit ups and push ups, so I have no excuse not to be strong next year. And I mean, uh, otherwise, yeah, just ab work and 
again, playing 2K is a big thing. I'm, I'm trying to grow an Instagram page now in my free time and doing, doing a couple of different, anything to burn time, really. As they say, the grind never stops. I love that. So I want to actually transition to last season for a little bit, and I'm going to get a little real with you. You might get upset with me, but I got to ask you this question. I was at the uh, – this was my first DePaul game. I'm actually a relatively new resident to Chicago, approaching a year, and my fiancé and I went to the Butler uh, Butler game that you guys hosted. I believe it was an early game Saturday, and this was when Butler was still ranked, I think, top 15, maybe top 20, and they had just come off a loss, so they were a little bit vulnerable, but this was a big-time tilt. Um, and so I got to be honest with you, though, dude. It seemed like that was the last really good game that that you guys had played. After that, the wheels kind of fell off. Do you know what happened there after mid-January? Uh, you know, it just gets tough, um, and especially playing in the Big East, you know, with, with top talent teams. And, you know, we, we had teams that finished in the, in the top 25, uh, multiple, multiple teams that finished in the top 25. So, um, you know, just having a schedule like that, um, there's going to be ups and downs. And we had a lot of ups this year as well as a lot of downs. Um, and, uh, you know, finishing 16 and 16 parlays to that, you know, ups and downs. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just it, – it, it was tough. You know, we went through a tough stretch of a few games. But, you know, I th- a lot of them were close, you know. So it's just, you know, could have gone either way. And I think just, you know, persevering. And I think we showed that we, we figured something out, you know, at the end when we beat Xavier um, in Madison Square Garden. And then, you know, after that, the season was uh, was diminished. Yeah, I'll let Taylor hop back in here in a sec. But I do appreciate you putting an ass whooping on Baylor for for my very first uh, game of watching live. <laughs> hey, our pleasure. We we enjoyed it, too. So, I mean, that had to be kind of like the worst part of the whole getting canceled is that you, you guys finally had potentially figured it out there and then it all got taken away from you. Um, but does it feel like, you know, playing in the Big East that every single night is a big game. Does it feel like that? Is it palpable in person when you go play, uh, you know, around the, around the conference that every game is a, is a big game in the big East? You know, it really is. And you would think that after so long, you know, I've, I've been a part of DePaul basketball for three years now. Um, you would think after so long that you would get used to it, but honestly the big East atmosphere and, you know, just going from arena to arena and, you know, it being packed literally, you know, sitting there and like having people watching the game and just looking around and the whole arena is packed. I mean, that's something that you can't script. You know, it's a feeling that you can't think of in any other aspect. So I, I think that it's, it's – I mean, I, everything feels like – I, mean, I can't say Game 7 because I've never been in Game 7. But for me, I, I, every Big East game feels like that, you know, just the exhilaration of being out there and seeing all that. So it, it's amazing. I think this past year, more more so than any other year recently, we've seen that resurgence and greatness of the Big East of those like late 2000s, 2000, 2010, you know, those UConn, Syracuse, Georgetowns, and now the competition in the Big East, even with new blood, relatively new blood like Creighton. Um, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun. The league was was so much fun this past year. And because you are a veteran, you know some of these different coaches, right? You know, they have – for me, I kind of look at the coaches in the Big East as these suave cool three-piece suit type of type of coaches but they can be super intense behind the scenes i'm thinking of guys like jay wright ed cooley right describe how dave leto is uh behind the scenes because he strikes me as one of those cool common collected guys on game day but you don't want to mess with him behind the scenes you know uh, C- coach leto is a great teacher um you know first and foremost one thing that it really does is worry about you know of course player development and you know getting people better as players but even more so i think just you know, making people better as people. And, um, you know, just seeing people, including myself, 
100%. You know, I can attest to this as well. Seeing people, you know, who, who have been in the program from their freshman year or, you know, having been there one, two, three years, you know, the more the merrier in this aspect. Just the development that that he, um, you know, kind of encompasses within you uh, as people. I think he does a really good job with that. So he, you know, he if need be, of course, he gets on us. And, you know, as any coach should. And, um, you know, he's, he's really worried about making sure that you're doing what you need to do to become the best person and player that you can be. So in that aspect, yeah, he's he's great. Well, and he just signed an extension, right? Yep, he did. He did. Yeah, he really just got extended. Right. So you must be pretty thrilled with that, I assume, right? Yeah, no, we're, yeah, we're definitely happy about that. Well, and the administration must have been pretty thrilled with uh, how the season went this year, uh, despite some of its ups and downs. That uh, clearly they they have a, uh, a liking to him as well, and how the team is going to progress in the future. So you know, seems like seems like you're in full agreement with that. Absolutely. Yeah. We got a lot of big wins this year. And, you know, those, those were, uh, you know, uh, in, encompassing off of, you know, what, what he's instilled in us as, as people and players. And I think that, um, yeah, we can definitely grow off that. So you obviously have a great relationship with coach Leto, but I think I'd assume you also have a great relationship with one of the assistant coaches and that's Shane Harmon. Were you able to play with him in high school uh, and, and tell us about the role he played in you choosing DePaul and your relationship with him? Sure. So uh, Shane, and this is what I tell everybody that asked me, you know, Shane is one of my, you know, my guys, one of my best friends and uh, one of the people that I actually, you know, owe a lot to because he, so he was, he was my coach at La Lumiere and uh, I played for him at La Lumiere. And then, um, you know, that senior year, my, well, my senior year, he was there. I think that was his third or fourth year as a head coach or something along those lines at Lalu. And then um, the, the next year, the following year, uh, after we won the national championship at Lalu, he was going to accept a job at DePaul. And then, you know, he had talked to me about, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to DePaul. You know, we, we've had a great experience here together. Um, you know, I like what you bring to the table and obviously coming from me too, I think he's a great person. I wouldn't want to, you know, I couldn't really imagine my basketball career without him. So, um, you know, he, he asked me, Hey, why don't you come check out DePaul, you know, apply, um, you know, get accepted, come visit, see what you like, you know, check it out. Obviously Chicago's awesome. So, you know, I went out there and, you know, after he accepted the job, I, went out there again and that's it you know <laughs> for me that was it like when I saw the school and when I saw the city and everything I mean that was it for me so so it sounds to me and let me know if I'm overblowing this that this was basically your quintessential package deal Leto was like I want Pantelise on this team so if I got to do that I got to get his high school coach is that fair to say or am I overblowing <laughs> I, that I, I, I don't know I I don't think I don't think I had that much I think he would have gotten hired regardless he's a great coach but um yeah I, I definitely appreciate uh you know him him giving me the opportunity to tag along and you know come learn Hey give yourself some credit man come on you know <laughs> I, I'm saying full package deal here <laughs> Well hey so I want to give you an opportunity cuz I, I don't think everybody that listens to this podcast understands how good of a high school for basketball that you went to. So please let me put the soapbox out in front of you, step on it and tell us how good La Lumiere is. Sure. So um, we're a national powerhouse every year. Um, my year, especially that was the first year uh, that we won the Dick's national tournament. And that was the only year actually, unfortunately, but more to come. And we had the number one team in the country. Um, our, our team included Jaron Jackson, Jr., he got drafted fourth overall in the draft, you know, top five pick. Um, we had Brian Bowen, who was a top 10 recruit at the time. Uh, he's in the NBA now as well on a two-way contract with the Pacers. We had Jordan Poole, who plays for the Warriors now. Um, pretty much everybody that played on the team, going down to even me, you know, went on to play Division One basketball. 
you know, we have Tiger Campbell who plays at UCLA and he's amazing. We have, you know, Jacob Epperson who plays at Creighton also in the Big East. Um, you know, Isaiah Coleman lands another guy, you know, he plays at uh, Miami of Ohio and just, you know, we, so we have so much history. I mean, just from that team alone, you know, we, we produced, I mean, nine, 10, 11 D one guys. So it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's really a powerhouse school and I can't even attest to how much that's true. Checking those guys in high school and then who you got to check in practice uh, with the Paul, I'm assuming it's, you know, Charlie Moore. Who's the toughest guard that you've had uh, like in practice? Oh man. So, somebody to actually guard because if I'm playing against somebody in practice, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm five ten, so I'm not going to be guarding Jaron and, you know, Brian and all those guys. So um, for me, uh, Tiger Campbell and Charlie Moore are just, they're so shifty. You know, it's really hard to stay with them. Like if you're trying to stay in front of them, it, good luck. You know what I mean? It's probably not going to happen. So yeah, th- those two guys are are the epitome of shifty point guards. So who has better hair, you or Tiger Campbell? I gotta say me. Well, not anymore though. <laughs> not trimmed it up. It's not the same. But uh, yeah, Tiger's got the palm tree going on, and and I love <laughs> it. Palm too. Uh, that's that's fantastic. So we said actually last year around this time, we we had a like a a, a top five things that you wanted. Ha- tell your freshmen advice for incoming freshmen. Do you see on Twitter? Like it was just a regular thing. It was, these are the top five things you need to know as a freshman entering school. So we kind of tailored that to college basketball. And one of mine was if you're a freshman, you may not get playing time right off the bat. So develop an awesome bench celebration. And you, my friend are like the Mona Lisa of bench celebrations. You are the professor, the maestro. Okay. So when it comes to that, did you draw inspiration from anyone? I'm talking like Fran Fraschilla's kid, or did, did any inspiration come to you, or was it strictly on your own? You know what? People ask me that, um, and surprisingly enough, I just do whatever comes to me. Like I, I'm a big dancer, like in life, you know what I mean. I'm just always up and energetic and doing things. And um, when I see you know entertaining stuff like that, like you know, it, one thing that was notable last year, uh, Max Drews dunked on somebody crazy, and then I was jumping around going nuts, and everybody in ESPN saw that. Um, Wait, was that, that the Baylor game or the the Butler game? It was on your sideline on the baseline, right? It was, it was, it was. Yes, I remember that, and it was unbelievable. And you know, I went crazy, and that's just something that happens. You know, I don't choreograph anything. I don't think of anything in advance it just kind of happens and and that's what you see you you know what you've positioned yourself perfectly for is a cameo on one shining moment next year really and if if you're gonna have there's a couple goals you can have in in college basketball right and that's you know Naismith player of the year perhaps you know like national championship or or at least an appearance on one shining moment I feel like that would be a hell of a feather to put in your cap yeah, I definitely wouldn't mind that. Um, it, trust me, if they come calling, uh, I'm going to answer the first time and I'm going to be there as soon as I can. So none of this stuff is premeditated then, just strictly off the cuff. Is is it strictly like dance moves or, you know, is there anything that you want to choreograph with your team or are you like, you know what, I'm the, I'm the hype man for this team? You know, honestly, um, for me personally, I just do my individual thing, dancing and yelling and clapping. Um, of course, it gets me. I love when the rest of the bench does it, too. You know, and that's that's something that our bench takes a lot of pride in is, you know, being upful and cheerful and hypeful. Hype. Is that a word? Hypeful? Or did I just make that up? It is now. Yeah. We, we've just. <laughs> right. I, anyway, I'm going to trademark that later, but hypeful yeah. for our team. 
And um, yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, yeah, I just do my individual stuff. And I, I think that kind of um, the rest of the bench feeds off it as well. So we've asked this to a couple of our guests before, and I think I know your answer to this. But if you had the opportunity to go play and, you know, play a bunch of minutes at a, you know, lower level D1 school or a D2 school versus being a walk-on at a high major D1 school, you clearly chose the walk-on at the high major D1 school. I think that's, Taryn and I have discussed this multiple times. I think that's the choice that we would have made too. So is it just, is it as fun as it looks being the hype man, the number one hype man in college basketball? Is it fun 24 seven or are there pitfalls to this? Where are the stresses of being the hype man 24 seven? Can you ever just turn it off on campus? Well, no, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this is the most fun being a division one basketball player, especially at DePaul in a city like Chicago is the most fun thing that I've ever been a part of ever. Like it, it, it's awesome. I, to, to go, you know, a lower D1 or a D2 or something like that, I don't think – not I don't think. I, I know that there's no way that I would get the experience that I am now, Um, you know, playing these different schools in the Big East and, like, traveling around everywhere. You know, it's it's amazing. So I, I, I think this for me is, like, the epitome of, of, wow, this is awesome. And everything that I worked for, this is it playing out, and I'm enjoying it to the fullest. So this is actually a unique question to you because some, some players that we've interviewed, they're, they're – stadium is on campus you guys got to travel to Wintrust, i believe is is your home court do you see any advantages disadvantages do you kind of wish that you could just walk out of your dorm or wherever you live go straight to campus and the stadium be there or do you kind of like uh head, head into Wintrust and uh an off off campus uh stadium you know i enjoy it and um one thing that we have so so we practice we'll, we'll, we'll practice in both but we also have an arena on campus you know that our practice gym that we practice in and then uh, the girls' basketball team also plays some games there. But, you know, I, I think it's really cool. Um, it kind of diversifies. So, like, when you're at our on-campus court, then it's kind of like, okay, you know, this is practice. This is where we work on our, our craft and work on our plays and everything. And then when we go to Wintrust, it's almost like, okay, like, this is it. You know what I mean? It, it's a different atmosphere, kind of like the Big East atmosphere I was talking about earlier. Like, you're in Wintrust, you know, you know, this means business. You know, the, now it's time. We're going to play a game either today or tomorrow. We're going to stay in the hotel. We're going to come back down here, act as professionals, as businessmen, and it's time to take care of business. So it kind of puts that in perspective of just, you know, getting ready for game day and going over there. So you grew up, I, I guess, outside of, the, of Chicago would be the way to put it, but you were kind of in the middle of several, you know, Big Ten schools uh, amongst other schools. Did you grow up going to DePaul games? Did you go to Notre Dame games? Were you an Indiana fan? What? Where were you in? Uh, where was your college basketball fanhood growing up? You know what? Um, to, to say that I had, so I, I unfortunately, I, I wish I could say that I was a DePaul fan, but I, I didn't really watch too much college basketball. Um, so I really just knew like, you know, Kentucky, like when Anthony Davis was at Kentucky, I was watching them. Um, you know, of course, IU, because I was in Indiana, you know, I was around that, around a lot of IU fans. But, um, you know, otherwise, I didn't really watch too much, too much college hoops until high school, you know, later on in high school. And then, um, you know, with with, uh, with everything that was going on, you know, obviously DePaul is close. Um, so that's when I kind of started watching them as well. And then, yeah, mo- mostly just, you know, DePaul and Kentucky and, and IU. So we've talked a little bit about the Big East now and the atmospheres. Let's take some of these questions now to your experiences on the road. Have any opposing fans screamed at you or told you to sit down you know, just spewed some hatred to you and you're like two-stepping all over them when you have a 15-point lead or anything like that. Have you experienced that at all? 
You know what? Um, yes, and and let let me uh go ahead and shed some light. So every time, um, so so Marquette's crazy. Marquette's crazy with the fans. Um, who else is crazy? Um, Xavier's crazy with the fans, and it's always packed in there, and it's an electric atmosphere. Providence, I, twice, twice I've been there. I've been there a total of three times, but two of the times that I've been there, somebody got kicked out. At least one person got kicked out for talking to me from the crowd. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're crazy. Like, and it's, it's a good kind of crazy. You love to see fans like that, but man, they, they do not hold back. They love their friars. Dude. I, you might actually have a line of sight on my computer because that is my next question. Let me give you a little context here. We are, are very good friends and we have a decent following from the Providence fan base and they are fucking hyenas on Twitter, man. Absolute wildebeest. Like we'll say, we don't even say anything negative about them. We'll just say something like a half criticism. And we just got people coming into our mentions, like defending the Providence (laughs) kingdom. Like crazy. That was literally my next question was, are Providence fans as psychotic as they are uh, on Twitter? Uh, They love their friars. I'm going to put it that way. They love their friars and anybody who's opposing their friars on any given time, uh, they're going to feel the wrath. And there's nothing you can do about it. So I was really hoping that my the answer to my question was going to be Providence, but clearly it's the opposite. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to call out a fan base. Who's the weakest fan base in the Big Ten or in the Big East? Ooh, you know, I don't, I honestly don't think I have an answer for you because I've never, <laughs> smart, smart. I've never, yeah. I've never been anywhere to where I was like, okay, this is a weak fan base. Like everywhere you go in the Big East, you're going to get an electric atmosphere. And, you know, that's, that's just what you sign up for when you sign up to, to play in the Big East. So you don't want to go on the record by calling out a fan base. Is that is that what I'm gathering here? You know, on the record or off, I, I honestly, it wouldn't be fair for me to call anybody out. Everybody brings it, all 10 of us. Oh, my God. It's true, though. I mean, the reason why the Big East and people our age, I mean, we're, we're old as fuck now, Pantelis, by the way. We're like 29, 30 years old. But growing up, man, like watching the Big East, that's what made it so great was the crowds, right? And even even the – the uh, what's the – term i'm blanking on but like the the center court right the the courts the neutral courts jesus christ this right. this this thing has gotten me all loopy now but the neutral court environments you know it's, it's been fantastic um so then if you were to rank the toughest road venue what is the toughest place to play then i know you would mention marquette you mentioned providence i think you would mention creighton as well what are some of the other venues that you know you're saying to yourself this is the toughest to play in Sure. Well, uh, and this goes back to the history of their program and how successful they've been. Um, Villanova is is definitely a crazy atmosphere. You know, they, they run e- everything about them. Everybody calls it the Fortune 500 company of basketball, college basketball, and uh, they exemplify that from their fan base too. I mean, they're 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 tough. Um, Iowa was a really good venue to play at. You know, the fans were uh, really active. We were on our game that game, and um, you know we we played well. But you know, e- e- even though that we were winning throughout the game, their fan base was still bringing it. You know, so I uh, I respected that a lot too. So I, I'd probably say those two places are are uh, crazy. In addition to what I said earlier. So speaking of Iowa, is Luca Garza the toughest player you guys played this year? You think? You know, Luca Garza is a beast, um, and obviously throughout the year he proved that. Um, you know, he, he, he was tough and, you know, to, to scout against him. Um, I think we did a really good job and, and we held him to, uh, you know, not, not as great of stats as he usually, uh, achieves, but he, you know, he, he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. 
Well, I think that's a credit to your big man. And I'll give you a little story here. When I was at that Butler game that I had mentioned previously, I was sitting in front of this kid and he was talking to his parents. I think they were just visiting and he wouldn't shut up about Paul Reed. And I was like, does it like, I haven't heard too much about Paul Reed. Like, let me see how this guy plays. And so I texted this guy and I texted my other buddy and I was like, can you look up where Paul Reed's projected to go in, in, you know, these mock drafts? Cause I haven't really heard his name. And then he goes out in that Butler game. I think he had 20 in the first half, maybe 17. And he absolutely dominated. Can you tell us a little bit about Paul Reed, his development at DePaul? And I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be a first round pick if he declares, I don't know if he has yet or not, but tell us a little bit about Paul Reed and his development. Sure. So that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, with the player development and just, you know, sometimes your first year you're not going to play and you kind of have to weather through that, weather the storm. Um, that's Paul, you know, and to see where he's at now is obviously incredible. Um, you know, the first year as a freshman, he had to develop. You know, he had a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and you just have to, you know, kind of put that all together. He, he's, you know, was a great player back then too, but just kind of putting everything together. So what he's done, um, you know, from that year, you know, coming off the bench and having some good games, of course, but, you know, not playing to the level that he is now. Sophomore year, he's going out there. He wins most improved player in the Big East. And then this year, you know, to come out there and be a first-round pick for sure, a potential lottery pick, is obviously speaks testament to, uh, you know, how hard he's been working and the, uh, the kind of player and the type of person he is. So this is, I'm sure, going to be more of a case-by-case basis, but because you're behind the scenes uh, with someone who is a potential lottery pick, do you think that players that would have maybe potentially left early this year maybe be persuaded to come back for a, another year because they didn't get to play in the tournament? Mm, you know, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. You know, I think everybody has their own agendas. Um, you know, some people really want to embellish college basketball and, you know, for them to not play in a championship or to not play in a tournament, um, it's going to be something that they want to do. So they'll come back. I'm sure there are other people, you know, who want to go to the NBA They're they've been working hard and now they're ready to get, you know, paid monetarily and, you know, go to the NBA and be able to provide, um, you know, for their, for their families and for their loved ones. So I think there's going to be a couple of different aspects from that. And, you know, I, I can definitely see both sides. So in a year's time, obviously tonight when we're recording, this should have been when the national title game was playing in a year's time, where's DePaul basketball? Are they playing in the final four? Are they playing on national title Monday, baby? Final four, baby. Natty title Monday. We're, I mean, we're going to be there. That's it. <laughs> I love it, man. Good. I'm glad we got some sort of guarantee out of you. We tried earlier with uh, with you doxing some of the pathetic fan bases, but we got something <laughs> out of you here. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll say that. I, I say it every year. You know, we're going to go to the tournament. We're going to go to the tournament. We're going to go to the end. I don't know if you saw this year. I uh, said in the beginning of the year that uh, I tweeted it actually. Yeah, I was going to shave my head if we didn't go to the tournament. And then it's been interesting with the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah, man, that doesn't that doesn't count. Don't worry about it. No, we're, we're not, gonna, not counting yeah. it. Not counting it. I'll only count it with people I don't like. I like you though, man. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get <laughs> No, the hair looks good, dude. And I'll I'll get you out of here on this. So last year you scored your first point as a college athlete at the line. So a lot of times people will score their first point in you know, the the flow of, of the game coming off a screen, hitting a three or breakaway layup. You're at the line. Uh, take us through that and how nervous you are. Okay. Uh, I, I tell everybody, I'm going to admit it here, here and here only. When people ask me, I'm like, no, I knew I was going to make the second one. You know what I mean? I, I practice all the time. I'm going to make it. I was nervous 
as hell. Like I was out there like, oh my goodness. Because I, I had two free throws. I missed the first one and I knew I was going to miss the first one. I think that's why I missed the first one. <laughs> Wait, why? Why'd you, why'd you know you were going to miss the first? I was there. I was like, okay, I got two. Went through my routine, took my two dribbles. Doesn't feel right. Knew it didn't feel right, but I was like, you know what? All right, let's let's see what I got. Boom. Terrible. Wasn't even close to going in. I was like, okay, all right. Now now if I get to the line, the first time I ever got to the free throw line, I'm going to miss two free throws. I can't, I can't miss two free throws. It's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. So I got the ball back. Pretty confident I was going to make it. I got the ball. I held it in my hand. I felt like I never held the ball before in my life. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, all right, let's get it. <laughs> my two dribbles. Roll, shoot it. I was like, okay, uh, eh, is it gonna go in? It went in. So that was that was amazing. It was awesome. It was nerve wracking to say the least, but it went in. So I was happy about that. That's what I'm saying, man. I, I feel like a lot of and we discussed this at one time or another. A lot of people don't understand how difficult hitting free throws is when crazy amount of pressure is on, or even hitting like a breakaway layup. Like it, it just it's it, you're programmed to be like, oh, this should be automatic, but when all eyes are on you and you know, your, your, your bench is about to explode, you know, that's an added layer of pressure. And you're just sitting there like, I just want to get my first collegiate point. <laughs> exactly. You no, know, even the best of the best feel that pressure, you know, it's just, you're out there and like you, you practice, you shoot 80 million free throws throughout your life. You know, I've been shooting free throws. Who knows how many free throws I shot. And then I got out there. All I have to do is make one. I made a million of these. All I have to do is make one. And it's the most difficult thing in the world to make that one. So I, I didn't see the rest of the clip did like how much time was left? Like the, the only reason I'm asking is once you hit that, were you even caring about playing defense whatsoever? You know, I, I was getting back on defense, um, you know, just, just, just per the flow of the game, but it was definitely going through my, and I was trying to act like I've been there before too, even though I hadn't been there before and I was excited beyond measure, but I was like, okay, I got to act professional. I got to get back, play defense. And that's it. But trust me, I was on cloud nine. Fantastic, dude. Well, hey, thank you so much for hopping on and shedding a bit of light on your tenure at the Paul. Uh, stay safe, stay indoors, all that good stuff. Best of luck next year. And we will absolutely, if you're willing, we'll absolutely get you back on the program and and discuss uh, some more DePaul basketball as we approach the season. Yeah, that sounds great, man. You guys are a lot of fun, by the way. I love this podcast. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it, man. No doubt, no doubt. Stay safe out there. All right, we want to thank Pentelis uh, for spending some time chatting with us. That was a hilarious interview, I thought. Uh, let's go ahead and round this out with hugs and twit. Taylor, I know I might be catching you off guard here. Do you have any hugs? If not, I'm, I'm prepped to go. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be uh, kind of obvious. Or I don't know if obvious is the right word, but uh, I'm just going to give it as an overwhelming large hug to Dayton as a whole. Obi Toppin, Anthony Grant, the program in general. I think them more than anybody else would look at today or yesterday uh, back in history and say, fuck, that was that was our time. Uh, there have been 10 coach-player combos that uh, won national player and national coach of the year. I think eight of them went to the Final Four and six of them won the national championship. That is a tough statistical pill to swallow. Yeah. So you had it. If given, yeah, you had an eighty percent chance of making the final four if if those uh, numbers stood up. So I'm just gonna give uh, a big hug to them. 
I want to give a hug to them as well because I do like Dayton. I like the city. It's close to Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati. But any chance that I can get to laugh at Ohio, despite it being at the expense of Obi Toppin, I'll still kind of take it. So hug for me. Uh, my hug is actually going to be for indecisiveness. We're all indecisive in some respect. Okay. We've all had to double check ourselves. Patrick Tape is a Columbia grad transfer who originally committed to Duke, decommitted, and then recommitted again. So I can appreciate that. I can appreciate uh, some indecisiveness there with the young man. Uh, and, and, you know, he went with his original pick. Good for him. So I feel like we've all been there before, not to mention it provided us some good laughter, even if it was fleeting laughter, like, oh, Duke can't even land a Columbia grad transfer. Apparently they still can. So hug for indecisiveness. Uh, and then we will finish it off now with twit. The, this week in feet, uh, pretty obvious. Texas Tech loses to Virginia last year in overtime. It's kind of crazy. This was the biggest nugget that I took away from it. It's kind of crazy that Virginia scored 17 points in overtime. That's a lot of points in a five-minute stretch for anyone, let alone Virginia. And they did it in overtime of the national title game. And I think for me, it was just everything that was so pent up with with Virginia. It was the past four years of dominating the ACC against great competition. It was obviously the UMBC catastrophe. And they just finally said, you know what? We've put our fans through the ringer with that Purdue game, with the final four Kyle Guy free throw. Now we got to go to overtime in the title game. Let's just finally finish it without any drama. 17 points in that overtime game to close it out uh, uh, this week in the Virginia. And it's kind of funny because they got it done then. This past year, they went to overtime against Notre Dame, won the game in overtime uh, by scoring three points in that extra frame. Yeah, but that's even probably more common than 17 is, no matter who the team is. 17 is a lot for like an NBA team to score in a five-minute span, not even True. like the slowest-moving team in NCAA basketball history. Considering that they scored, was it only 42 points in a win earlier this year? Something for might even be generous. I don't know. Yeah, that the fact that they scored 17 points in any five minute stretch at any point over the you know the last couple of years is impressive. Uh, yeah. good, yep. great game. I like we've talked about uh, uh, you know, last year about this time. Uh, it's almost like what Clemsoning used to be before they went on this run in college football. I, I used to think, oh, yeah, Virginia, choke job city, whatever, they're not going to get over. Now, I don't even think. I don't even think anything bad about them at all, other than they're slow like that. But that's just who they are. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you again for taking the time listening with us. We want to thank Pantelis one more time. Uh, we will see you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.